Welcome to Meanderings with Trudy. Here we're grief busting with Dina Bellaroche. Welcome, Dina. Mm, thanks for having me again, Trudy. Hey, this is this is the last. This is the fifth in our myth busting series. Um, but probably not the last word from us. We've just been kicking around the idea of what we might want to do in the fall when we come back after the summer. We're taking a break for July and August, as as people know. Um, and uh, you know what? What more do we have to say? Uh, and I think actually the answer is a lot. Um, so while today we're going to be looking at who or what can help a grieving person as we're moving through our process, our each, our individual process, we're going to have in our mind an invitation for you, I think, for coming back to us. And we'll talk maybe more about that today or certainly have that in the uh, as we approach the fall. So... So yeah, now Dina's been traveling all over the country. Oh, I shouldn't say all over the country. She's just started. Her her book um, has launched. It is being uh, sold. Is it in independent bookstores? Where where? And tell tell us about your book first before before I garble all of this on your. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so delighted to be meandering with you, Trudy, on a topic that really fills my soul with so much joy. And I think I hope that as people listen to us and the way we're holding the conversation around grief and loss. I, I hope that they can sense how authentic that is. So yes, I'm, I'm embarking on a national tour. I'm doing that with my other company, Sport Law. Our, our, uh, we called it the Hope Tour, Hope on the Horizon. It is our hope that we are bringing legal and leadership solutions to sport leaders across the country. And so we started in PEI, went to Newfoundland, and I'm heading to Northwest Territories to Yellowknife. And as I've been traveling across the country with my other company, I'm also connecting with uh, with local bookstores and libraries and having conversations with hospice and palliative care associations to see if they want to collaborate with me on either a book reading or uh, having a, a, you know, being able to carry my book. So it's it's been really delightful to walk into a bookstore, for instance, in PEI and see my book already on the shelf. That was a moment. Amazing. What, and, what did uh, that just let, let's just pause there for a second. Yeah. I mean, that must have felt pretty incredible. As somebody, as I sit and look at Dina, she, like me, has bookcases behind her. I don't have bookcases behind me. They're over here, but full of books, full of books. I think it's safe to say that you and I both um, enjoy, revere, Baskin books and authors and all of that. And yet here you are, you walk into a book bookstore and, and there's your creation mm -hmm. that tell me about that. That must've felt pretty cool. Mm -hmm. well, there's two parts of that story, Trudy, you and I are both trained journalists. And so our attachment to the world through the written word is really alive in us in a particular kind of way. And a sister integral coach said to me years ago, Dina, you write your way into being. Mm. You write your way into being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that for, for some people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's really poignant is for seven years after Tracy died, I could not pick up the pen. I could not write my grief. I could not give words to the deep sorrow that was my lived existence after her death. And so, so I was unable at that point to fully process 
the experience and kept it as we've talked about before in a nice little box that I would take out during special times and then I would put the pain back into that bottle it was just too hard for me to process all at once in year seven I started to give expression words to my grief and it was part of an assignment that I was doing for school I was back at school taking my master's completely unrelated Trudy to grief and loss and thanatological topics it was all about sport management that I was doing a degree in in uh, a master's in sport management and so something drew me from my qualitative research class something drew me to go back into my mom's journals and process my mom's grief when we heard Tracy had cancer so I was revisiting my mom's grief bearing witness Mm. to my mom's sorrow as part of my research Mm. and something inside me cracked open you cannot be you you cannot be unaffected when someone you love when you witness their pain and you you read it 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 imprints on your soul mm-hmm. and that cracking open was something that i needed to experience all the while i was disintegrating mm-hmm. i had that eat pray love kitchen moment uh and and the brave move was for me not to put it back in the bottle. The brave move was for me to be a student of my lived experience and further understand and make meaning of the experience, which then allowed me to, to process it again and again and again, like waves. Yeah. So it was really powerful. And I share that with you because writing a book, this book has written me, it's taken nearly you know, over well over a decade for me to put pen to paper and the chapters started to form, you know, 13 years ago. And then things I wanted to be able to share as I was becoming a student of, of my own grief and and then a student of bereavement theory, which has been such a gift to my soul. So back to the moment when I walked into this beautiful bookstore and walked over to the shelf that had you know, said grief and loss. And there was my book right? There were about six or seven copies of my book. And the joy that I felt kind of from from the ground up, and the humility to think, wow, wow, something, something physical and tangible came out of all of this anguish. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it's called your book is called grief unleashed moving from the whole in our hearts to wholehearted right yeah such a gift to be able to experience and as you say ride the waves of your own grief into a place of i don't know how would you articulate that not necessarily Mm -hmm better balance what would you what would you say I mean wholeheartedness (laughs) yeah yeah it's meeting the moment and the lived experience which includes moments of profound joy that bring me to my knees and then profound moments of pain and anguish that also bring me to my my knees so it's Mm -hmm. it's being able to experience all of it 
from a place of awakening and, 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 and acceptance that living life includes both profound joy and, and profound grief. That, that is what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. So to be able to go through that arc of your own development, healing journey for all that time, and then to walk into a space and see the physical manifestation of what you've actually created as a result of all that you've learned so far in this journey, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, both, both are such gifts. You know, thank you for acknowledging that. I, I feel always so grateful when people acknowledge it's part of my love language, you know, <laughs> hearing people play back and words of appreciation. Uh, it, it It's like a, from your lips to my heart, you know, it, it, it feels so validating when somebody expresses gratitude for, for having read something that I've written and said, my, my path was made a little less heavy because of you. That, that is what nourishes me, Trudy, because I think we have often, we're under the false illusion that we're supposed to be pain-free. Yeah. Yeah. If only, hey, if only. Right? Like life is, you're, you're doing life right if you're pain-free. And I would say yeah. we need to, we need to nurture and allow ourselves to suffer better, to suffer well, to, yeah. to be able to understand that when you are attached to a human, to a relationship, to an idea, to a dream, to a goal, to an environment, to a place. And when that environment place person is ripped out of your, your life, then Mm. the natural involuntary and normal response to that is to grieve. Yeah. But we don't talk about it that way. So for me, grief unleashed is an invitation for us to acknowledge that that living means we're going to, if we're here long enough, experience loss. And some of those losses will be micro and some will be life altering and somewhere in between. And, and when we can grapple with that from a place of like knowledge and, and health, then you know your point around a journey through grief the journey is an everlasting one. It's not like I'm now at a place of mm-hmm. health and wellness. So I'm yep. never going uh-huh. to everything's experience. better. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm all done with that. Tick, 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 you know, exactly yeah. done. Look at me, look, look at, at me. You know, this, yeah. Yeah. This no. positivist, you know, approach to life where you're just, yeah, no problem. What's no. Dina's recipe. This is not that no. this is more resiliency building and resourcing to allow us to be with life as it unfolds. As it unfolds. It's a tapestry, right? right? That never finishes. Like I'm this, uh, all the time that I've been coaching, I've always had come back to this weaving, you know, Joan Erickson, do you know her, her work? Uh, Eric Erickson, this was Eric Erickson. Yes. His wife. Oh, Oh, okay. Uh So she had quite a hand apparently in, in, um, in supporting him in his work. And one of the ideas that she had, Mm was that um, we weave a tapestry in our life and she correlated the colors colors to stages in life. 
And what mm-hmm. she would do in sitting with, with people is you would have, you would start through the earliest chapter, your, your, your baby years, and you would be weaving in the color. And I, I, I don't remember the colors now about which was which, but um, you would be weaving in the color of, of babyhood. And then you'd be telling the stories and sharing of your life of babyhood and whatever it was that felt important to you. And then when it felt right, you'd switch to say toddler or other childhood stages and, and the, 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 the thread that you use then changes too. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you're done your series of sessions with her, you actually have a tapestry that is your life mm-hmm. according to your own stories and the colors that she associated with the various stages of life. Mm-hmm. And what a wonderful, I've always thought, what a great, what a great way because so many of us process through doing and doing with our hands and, and creating something in the, in the process of un, uncoupling from our mm-hmm. stories so that we can um, become more aware of them and in mm-hmm. some cases let them go so we can move into the present or let in a new story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Joan Erickson, if you're ever nosing around in that kind of stuff again. Yeah, beautiful. Well, what I appreciate about what you just shared, it it seems to me part of my training in grief and loss, helped me acknowledge and and help me expand my capacity as a parent. Mm -hmm. Because understanding Piaget's model, for instance, right, in child development theory, and and being able to understand, what does the world look like if I'm two, Mm -hmm. or four or six, and in my book, I actually, with a very light touch, tried to honor some of my my training and and my professors i i take us through just a very brief uh understanding of child development theory as it relates to grief and loss and practical things we can do if if a baby loses their mother at the age of 14 months which my nephew liam did so i talk about the importance of swaddling because they're nonverbal they understand touch and smell right and sound So being able to understand that children will grieve in the developmental age in which the loss occurs, Mm -hmm. and then will re-grieve for the rest of their life, the memories that they never were able to make. Mm -hmm. So that is normal, and we can anticipate that. And then Keegan did work around development theory as we we become adults, right? So Mm -hmm. understanding the ways that adults can grow and develop and horizontal growth is you were talking about and then and um sorry vertical growth and horizontal growth mm-hmm. and what i love especially when i'm working with other coaches is understanding that you know as humans if we do the work we're going to be able to expand our consciousness and elevate our capacity to be with life in a particular kind of way mm-hmm. and my hope is that through coaches for instance if 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 coaches understand fundamentally that that our clients usually come to us because they have a change agenda, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they have this big goal, be a BHAG, right? Big hairy audacious goal, or this thing that they want to they want to achieve, accomplish, experience, which is different than when they go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Therapy, they they often have this weight on them, and they've been trying and struggling, and they're feeling anxious or depressed, very few people go to therapy because they're feeling resilient and want to upkeep their health, right? Coaches is someone you go to that you can lean on. And my hope is 
as a certified professional coach, I am always working to expand my own capacities in different modalities so that I can be in better service of my clients. And fundamentally, I believe that this work I'm doing around grief and loss ought to ripple out. And my hope is that by working with coaches to equip them with greater grief and loss literacy, because chances are they will have experienced losses Mm -hmm. as a coach. And when they're supporting their clients, if, if we don't have some basic thanatological training in us, we superimpose our meaning making and coping structures onto others. Even as we do our work to prepare and understand our beliefs, if we don't have fundamental baseline grief and loss literacy, it is a lens through which we can't support our clients. Now, why is that important? Because our clients come to us usually with some limiting beliefs and behaviors that are cemented in them through attachment to Mm -hmm. ideas and, and values And if we don't understand that attachment from that perspective and the pain that is created when that attachment is severed, we can't fully give the language required. So our clients, no matter our capacity, if we don't have that capacity ourselves, we may not ask the right questions. Our own like physical structure and how we're preparing for the conversations and the way we're receiving will be limited based on our own fears related to death, right, and loss. Mm -hmm. So the undoing of some of our beliefs, which is usually superimposed in a capitalistic, white privileged, right, society. In this context, in our In this context, context, Mm -hmm. in our North American, you know, society, we can learn from other cultures who have a very different relationship with grief and loss and death and dying. Mm -hmm. And when we learn from those cultures, we understand the power of ritual, of communing, of community, of grace, of humility, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Of no reward for speed. We can practice non-attachment. We accept what is our lived experience. And that, that companioning approach to coaching elevates our game our capacity to look at someone and then look as them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is transformational it has been transformational in my practice yeah yeah because i mean in a nutshell what you're speaking to is how i get in my own way through the Mm -hmm. way that i see the world through the lens that i'm using if i'm not aware that that lens is even there because i haven't done my own work around grief right Ah, knowing how I get in my own way as the experiences that I've had with grief and loss in my life, I can get in my own way as a coach and I can get in my own way as a human being in my relationships. What a wonderful insight that Dina has offered us as we explore on this episode of Meanderings with Trudy grief busting with Dina Belaroche as we explore this whole idea of who and what can help as we deal with move through our grief and embody ourselves our experiences in our new life moving forward I hope you'll stick with us as we continue this final episode of grief busting and uh, there's a little bit more to come thanks for being here
Exactly. So, you know, let's make this practical. Uh, I, I had a, a client recently who was really struggling with, uh, with her, let's call it her courage muscle. And so I was under, trying to understand, like, tell me more about when you feel courageous. And there was like this beautiful pausing because she was so expecting me to say, well, how does it feel to feel weak? But the flipping around of, well, tell me more about when you feel courageous. And do you know what she shared with me? A time when her parent died. So if I don't have lost literacy, mm -hmm. I may just keep it at a surface level to say, oh, well, what was it about the time when your parent died that you, rather than being able to understand the, the amount of pain and suffering that someone can go through when their parent has died and being able to shift my own body to receive that, I may not say anything, right? But my, my my body softens when someone invites me into a story of loss. It is at a subtle level, which they can feel. Yeah. Do you want to tell me more about the time when your mom died? And by the way, what was her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just acknowledging, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in a way that feels healthy and invitational and mm -hmm. and then the question around so you you say you felt courageous during that time that that period of time when your mom died so do you want to talk a little bit more about that what mm -hmm. why did why do you feel that you were courageous mm -hmm. and then we were able to discover this was superimposed language that came from others so her yeah validation of that and being stoic and not crying sure, and, and, and yeah yeah was it and was was being courageous you know a plug or uh, helpful because in that moment it, it very much could have been both exactly so you know, her her limiting in the belief. grief and then and then bottling it up and then enabling to move forward because let's face it these are both there there's it's not it's not that being courageous in the face of something when you're going through is is a bad thing. That's what helps you get through it. It's just being able to go back to it and saying, okay, <laughs> let's 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 feel into this this courageousness, this mantle that I've put on, this plug that I've stuck in my emotions so that I could cope. And now I'm at a place where I can begin to unplug the bottle, take off the cloak. Yeah. And actually then I can I can withstand and then work with what's coming up inside of me. Right? Exactly. And you know, Trudy, in my lineage of coaching, we use metaphors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in our lineage, of yes, it's just like absolutely. the way we can sure. open up language. And, and yeah. so what's really beautiful is her language of how she wanted, she was approaching courage was very much, you know, the, the, the way of the receptive doormat, right. Where she would receive and receive and receive yeah. and allow people to just Trump step all over her. And, and she was rewarded for that stoic yes. and brave and confident. Yeah. Meanwhile, she was feeling very isolated and, and partial in her leadership journey. 
So her new way uh, had had way more, uh, you know, agency, mm-hmm. but it still had the feminine characteristic that was mm-hmm. so important to her. She didn't want to be masculine. She wanted to be more feminine in in the way in which she was expressing her courageous heart. So we we talked about a lioness and how the lionesses are communal and connected to each other. That yes, they they go out and hunt at night to provide for their families. They do so though in a pride, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not alone. So community is brought in. Yeah. So community is brought in. When does the yeah. lioness want to bare her teeth and then show her claws on behalf of what? Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, how are we contributing to our own sense of stuckness? Mm-hmm. So what happens when her baby cub dies, for instance, right? Or when another member of her pride, is she then allowed to let out a roar? And how does she create rituals with other members of the pride to honor that which has been lost? Mm -hmm. Because in her, her organization, there was a lot of turnover, they had merged with another organization. Mm -hmm. So lots of people didn't make it. So there was a sense of guilt, Mm -hmm. right? And she was like the doormat for everybody to come and wipe their feet. Sure transformation can you feel now trudy Mm -hmm. as i'm getting my body's full of goosebumps Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can you feel how being loss informed having some literacy to accompany someone will create and forge a level of trust and intimacy by asking her hey are you comfortable telling me more about your mom what was her name Mm -hmm. yeah it really has been transformational and it was only a small slice, right. Of our conversation and trajectory. But as we started to work together, we would come back to, you know, what would your mom say mm-hmm. in this moment? Yeah. What do you think she would share with you? Yeah. Uh, the, the word that's coming up for me right now is wholeness. You're able through looking with this lens and allowing these kinds of, um, conversations to to take root and then flower you're bringing in the wholeness of the person and of course we're, we're both trained as integral coaches so that that's uh that is who we be right it's it's yeah. when we're when we're working with a client it's holding the whole of their life so just because we're looking at their work life and their leadership role within that does not mean that the rest actually we we do a disservice if we don't bring in the rest exactly and trudy what's really important about what you shared is and, and why I, I really am leaning into working with, with sea level, you know, I work with all humans, but on a change initiative, like, like what I'm proposing with grief unleashed and having leaders champion whole healthy cultures yeah. and, and helping them acknowledge that many of the systems and structures that underpin these cultures were created in the seventies and eighties and nineties that we've inherited. Right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you one example. Many, many uh, cultures still have a three to five, right? The three to five days, bereavement, right? Okay. Uh, bereavement leave. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to leaders, they often will say, well, you know, we're flexi, flexi, but we still have this archaic leftover of, of how to support someone when, when their child has died, when their husband has died, when, when, when. So Canada has tried to be a world leader around bereavement leave and starting to acknowledge that because we're living longer, we're going to need our family to lean on. And we know that the healthcare industry is just not designed to meet the mammoth amount of needs that are out there, 
right? Mm -hmm. So when we work with, with organizational cultures and we, we let them know, what are you doing as a caring leader to help equip your people that you say you care about with some support so that they know that this company, this culture will be there for them when life goes sideways. Yeah. And, and for instance, with another client, they were going through a massive transition, right? And so when, when half they had to cut jobs during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So did you think about the survivor guilt, the people that weren't cut? Did you think about how you were going to transition people out mm -hmm. and work to support them and be clear on how that might affect them? So it's it's not just the, well, the checklist approach. It's actually yeah. the way in which it was communicated yeah. and preparing people for some of these lived experiences so they don't feel gaslit, they don't feel isolated, mm -hmm. right? And so so these these different ways in which we as coaches can help ask different questions informed by bereavement theory and, and how ritual can be so important. So I'll give you an example with sport, right? Every time athletes go on the pitch or in the pool on the court, they're either winning or they're losing. There is no gray area except yeah. for a tie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, you're on either extremes and we know what winning feels like and we know what losing feels like mm -hmm. as a social construct. We have adultified an experience of, of what it means to win. And we've made loss such a horrific experience. And when we superimpose that onto little people, right? Mm -hmm. Little bodies, yep. they grow up into Olympians and Paralympians. Yep. And so their attachment to winning become cemented, encoded in their bodies. And they don't have capacity to be with loss in a resilient, I would say, holistic, humanistic kind of way. And in large part, because parents are behaving badly and coaches, especially those at the community level, have not been trained in child development theory and understanding grief and loss. So they coach the way they were coached. Mm -hmm. And that command and control style of coaching sure. Suck yes. it up, buttercup, yeah. right? Jump, how high yeah, is still it. for the most part. You might be in pain. Move through it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Work harder, dig in. But we exactly. Have, I mean, we could go on with all the various ways in which we we um, set aside our body and our emotional body's way of um, coping with pain and hurt and loss. Yeah. It's like, and we know, reward the stoic. Yes. Those that battle on, sure. that focus on the future, that compartmentalize. And I'm not saying compartmentalizing can be actually quite healthy mm -hmm. if done in an intentional, very focused kind of way where you commit to going and revisiting the pain in, you know, at a time when you feel safer, mm -hmm. for instance, right? Or better equipped to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But with athletes, we as a society still put, see them out as mini warriors, right? That are there to serve the nation population. Yeah. And so when there's a loss, I mean, think of the visceral, the hatred that athletes have endured over and over and over again. It's, you know, compounded in social media where their, their sense of self is all wrapped up into the identity that is formed in young formative developmental years 
where they their whole identity is is shaped by their sense of being an athlete mm-hmm. and when that they don't make the team or their teammates don't make the team and I do or when as I write about this in my book their bodies give out mm-hmm. or when as I'm supporting a, an athlete right now in in transition who am I I have been on the national team for f- 17 years I don't even want to talk about right. who I'm going to be when I'm no longer lacing up, you know, my boots or my skates or mm-hmm. swimming. Like it is inconceivable for athletes who have grown up to be then transitioning out at the tender ages of 25 or 30 or 35. Mm-hmm. They don't, they haven't been conditioned to understand that. And all of that is related to grief and loss. So understanding ritual, creating new rituals for when we, soar when we win and when we and when we lose mm-hmm. so we can help our teammates process this and you and I have traveled through previous conversations around our coping styles mm-hmm. so if my coping style is you know conflicting with your coping style we miss out on the opportunity to enrich our collective if we're a team sport to teach us how to be with each other mm-hmm. right the introverts and extroverted the task yeah. focus the relational are all going to have different mean needs when life goes sideways. Mm-hmm. So if a coach is loss informed, she will be able to support them by acknowledging some of this and helping them through that, especially if you're in a tournament, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Right. So we can't do all of it now, but yeah. we can have a ritual and we can burn that experience of deep sorrow mm-hmm. to let that dissolve so that we can be better prepared in two days. What do we stand for, mm-hmm. right? How do we want to honor this experience that we just, that's left us gutted? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do as a team to be able to respond to this next opportunity to showcase who we are and what we stand for, Sure. right? Yeah. But if we don't have those conversations in that way, loss informed, we miss out on the moment. And as the leader, I'm going to inject coping styles and rituals that would make sense to me mm-hmm. because I want to treat people the way I would want to be treated. But you and I have talked about the platinum rule. We need to bury the golden rule. We need to treat people the way they want to be treated, right? Platinum rule. Mm-hmm. And this comes from Dr. Harvey Chochinov, who's a psychiatrist, leading psychiatrist, world renowned in dignity therapy. He created the platinum rule. Treat people the way they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. So how do I have to do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. this stuff is important. And I feel that coaches, sport coaches and professional coaches like us, we have an opportunity to be change makers in the lives of the people that we're supporting. And then they ripple out, mm-hmm. they go on and imprint and impact the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. So if we really want to elevate our capacity as a global community, to deal with some of the complexities that has been downloaded and transmitted in this like really VUCA world, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. We need to be able to acknowledge that our time on this earth is finite. We are all going to die. So we better get busy Mm -hmm. living a holistic life, which includes acknowledging that I'm going to die and people I love are going to die. Mm -hmm. And if we disavow that, we disavow so much more of our lived experience and we we cap out on our on our opportunity to shine and thrive yeah and the one of the things that i want to sort of 
put a little bit of an underline under or a spotlight on. Um, one of our myths for today is how therapists and, and healthcare professionals, coaches, as you've quite rightly, uh, like sports coaches, not just coaches, coaches, <laughs> are, are, uh, are by and large are often not trained in, in bereavement and loss. But what I'm, what's coming up for me is the difference between the information that I might download in a, in a class and then applying that in myself, because it's one thing to know all these things, but as you've so eloquently said a little bit earlier, that has to live inside me so that I know how I get in my way. And that's, I think, where the training, the, the, my view is, the training needs to come from that place. It's important to know the information and have that download of understanding and, and raise that awareness. And it it really needs to be coupled with what does this mean for you? Because before you can get out and start acting as a, um, as a grief informed coach, leader, therapist, what have you, healthcare provider, parent, (laughs) it first has to reside in you so that your lens that you see the world becomes affected by that understanding. Not, it's not just information. It lives inside. It's a practice of coming at the world from a place that is, that holds these things from that understanding, the understandings of simple things like not everybody uh, expresses grief in the same way as I do. Not everybody heals from grief in the same way that I will. The things that are informative or helpful for me might not be for you. And so curiosity becomes uh, a key tool for me, just spaciousness so that I can allow your arc and not be buffeted in the same way by it. And then you can go through your process. If I'm looking at my, you know, my teenager who's, who's giving up a varsity sport dream, say for example, or, 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 or our pets died. Right. So it doesn't matter. But if I'm a parent who comes at parenting from a place of understanding these kinds of things, it's not just information. I've converted it into a practice about how I live. Beautiful. Exactly, Trudy. And all humans need to be trauma-informed. I think more of us mm-hmm. are becoming a lot more aware of that. Mm-hmm. Gabor Mate, who's a, a Canadian author, and he's also a, mm-hmm. a spokesperson for uh, all kinds of, of the gift of trauma. You know, mm-hmm. he's a doctor in, in Vancouver. Yeah, latest book, author. The Myth of Normal. The myth of normal. Exactly. And, you know, he says there are two types of people in the world, those that know they've been traumatized and those that don't. Right. So he's trying to normalize it. We might have micro traumas and then the ones that render us, you know, incapacitated. Yeah. What I want to share about that is in my own course on grief and trauma, we understand that the trauma is locked inside our body. And so to remove ourselves from that lived experience, we do all kinds of things, right? And what I want to share is we can work on our trauma and still not actually have access to our grief because our grief is that normal and involuntary response to often a traumatic experiencing, which is individuated. So I can't access my grief until I process the traumatic experience. And it was only years and years later that I understood that watching my sister take her last breath and witnessing the beep, beep, beep of the life-sustaining 
you know, uh, equipment that was keeping her alive. And then the beep going down and down until they finally turned it off. Yeah. That created a wound to my soul, right? Mm -hmm. A trauma, yeah, a wound to my soul. Yeah. And so no wonder until I dealt with that, until yeah. I was able to process that experience in my body, accessing my grief became impossible for me. So if we had known this, if if the people, you know, had said to us, this is what is likely going to happen. And I write about this in my book, right? I talk about if someone had said to us, Bell family, you're all going to grieve differently. You, you might experience all these kinds of symptoms, normal, natural, needed. You can go to specialized people who can help you in the early days of grief because we know PTSD is often exasperated because we don't have, you know, immediate care in the most acute part of the experience. Yeah. And if we are provided with comfort and we are talked to and we are supported and held and accompanied, that is what I'm trying to speak to, right? To bring people to elevate our capacity to be grief companions. Because you said it, Trudy, if we are not grief and loss informed as coaches, we can only take our clients to where we ourselves have gone before. Yeah. You cannot fake this shit because it lives in our bodies and our clients can experience us experiencing them. So if I resist a conversation around, oh, she just talked about her dead sister, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to watch her be uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff is happening invisible to us mm -hmm. often because mm -hmm. it's so deep-seated. We have not been conditioned to normalize death and dying and grief and until we do that then we pathologize that which is natural normal and necessary yeah. so if it's a pathology based model then we are relying on doctors and nurses and therapists and psychotherapists and yeah. counselors to do all this work and guess what most of them are not trained in basic fundamental bereavement care thanatological issues so alongside them trying to deal with, for instance, a dying profession, right? Mm -hmm. I did a keynote with the Canadian Hospice and Palliative Care Association last year, Trudy. 200 people in the room, right, virtual. I asked them, the, my first question was, how many of you have received bereavement care as a training? Mm -hmm. These are the people that are accompanying people who are dying, okay? So I just want to set the context less than 50%, but 47% of them had had basic, basic training. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. So not only are they trying to help support the experience of the dying, they themselves, they as themselves, witness of yes. themselves, they're not used to doing this. And guess who's being rewarded for being brave and stoic and strong? Yeah, are we then surprised that during the pandemic that physicians were dying by suicide, mm -hmm. tapping out yeah. the sheer overwhelm of witnessing mm -hmm. and remember the Hippocratic oath first do no harm mm -hmm. well that has to stand for me first do no harm to, to myself mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so unattaching this belief that if I'm a physician in an emergency room and people die yeah. that somehow it's my fault sure. so there's some there's yeah. some really important things for us to understand these schemas sure. that become our truth that limit our capacity to be human with each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I talked at a earlier episode around the paramedics who served my mother when she died yeah. and how, you know, how heartfelt it was for me, heartbreaking it was for me that, you know, 
well, that's one job done. It's, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and off we go to another call. Now, I don't, I don't know if that was true. I don't know exactly what happened to them, but I think that that was probably the case. (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. And, and when these pile up on a soul and a heart over time, is it any wonder that they get tired and that they get you know, worn out from carrying that load that is yeah. not theirs to carry, really. So a little bit of grief literacy can go a long way in helping us help ourselves and help each other as we move through this life of ours. And that's really what Dean is all about in her book and in her work and with her company. And that's what she's speaking to here today. Who can help and how can they help? These things matter. Anyway, I hope you'll stick with us as we begin to wrap up this meander, our fifth in five in Grief Busting with Dina Bella Roche. Yeah, these first responders, and I would offer, weren't we all kind of sort of first responders in some way, shape or form during the pandemic when Mm -hmm. we were having to care for our loved ones in a very different way? I love what you just shared. And for me, I would say, and I don't know enough about this, but are we really providing the next generation, these young minds and hearts who are coming into the world as we know it, informed by trauma, I would say we're doing a much better job. Mm -hmm. And then equipping people with loss literacy, because it's different. Mm -hmm. These are very different needs. One is the root cause. And the other is the symptom, right? If we deal in a much more healthy way with, with death and dying, then we may see less trauma and less episodes of PTSD, and less illnesses. And if we don't pathologize death and dying, Mm -hmm. the way that we currently do, as our society does, and I'm generalizing, of course, Mm -hmm. then it, 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 it'll feel more easeful, it'll feel still hurt, because that severing attachment creates pain. Why? Because it's a biological imperative, Mm -hmm. right? Right. It's a, it's a break. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. Just like breaking your leg is going to, cause pain this does too but because we have in our society at this time we've disassociated the three centers of wisdom right the head the heart and the body into separate places and we put priority on the head part we can think this through and pain is just it's just in your head so when we have an emotional heartbreak the instinct is and we do this with our children right this is one of our myths about how we have to shield our children from loss because they're they're not capable of handling it yeah Mm. well we're built we are built to experience all that we experience and when we shield one part this is getting into the Brene Brown work right you you cannot selectively numb when we shield one part from what we think is hard Mm -hmm. we create difficulties in other ways that we don't know about and we limit access to what we would define as the lighter or more positive emotions. You cannot shield from heartache and not then also shield from joy because they are linked. Yes. And so let's make that practical, right? Acknowledging the cause of the death. So acknowledging that someone has died, that's the first, and I don't want to call it step, but it, it is you you will stay stuck if you cannot acknowledge that the person has died. Right. Right. So all of the bereavement theories, the more contemporary ones that I've studied under, they all start with a version of that. And there's mm-hmm. 
I write about different, different forms, Mm -hmm. whether it's like a four step or a seven step, like they're all, they're all talking about the same thing. And the acknowledgement that the death has occurred is the first step towards reconciling this loss and reconciling is not getting over. It's integrating it right from a place of, 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 um, hopefully over time health, but the integration begins with acknowledgement and then being able to witness the body. So this is where funerals, right? This ritual of connecting people to that person that has died in a communal kind of way mm-hmm. is part of the tradition that helps us heal. Now, people may not understand that, but it is true. There's a reason why these practices, these rituals, different traditions and different religious beliefs will turn to something that feels right and true for them. All of our our religions have some form of practice around burial, Mm -hmm. around paying respect to the person who's died and the family. And, and in, you know, up until recently, we used to give people about a year and the color black meant something to people Mm and covering the 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 mirrors meant something to people so we we need these rituals to help us in the reconciliation process yeah yeah and if we don't do that we stay stuck yeah so important to see the body and and in some traditions washing the person right preparing them Mm -hmm. for uh the the integration and allowing people to pay their respects all normal and necessary and needed in the reconciliation of our of our mourning process which is our grief gone public yes. now some for some people because their loved ones were buried under an earthquake or a tsunami or lost at sea or yeah. 9-11 that creates yeah. a special kind of suffering because the not not having a piece of my person or a place to go back to that I can, I know that they're there. I think that's part of it with the September 11th thing, for example. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if my husband is there or if he was blown to the four winds. We we don't know. And the not knowing can create yeah. so much suffering. So, so memorials, right. Mm-hmm. Has created a form of communal and communing around a shared yeah. loss experience Because these invisible losses, right, we stack. And so murdered and missing Indigenous women, for instance, is she still alive? Yeah. Where, where did she go? And, and that kind of overwhelm needs a place to be processed, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, so important for us to be able to work through these uh, experience in a really, um, in a, in a holistic way. And Trudy, when I hope that people who are listening they, this feels normal. What, Mm. what doesn't feel normal is the disavowing of this. Yeah. So when we're, we're held in the container of a, of a communal experience, we make a very lonely journey, less isolating. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the beginning of our conversation i think maybe before we we started this the warm-up yeah the (laughs) warm-up conversation we talked about how when and and this isn't necessarily anchored into um bereavement and and grief but it is a little bit when you're finally doing something that is where you're meant to be it feels Mm. right it feels 
it feels right. I think that's probably the best because it is in the context of grief and bereavement that I'm raising this. When it hurts so much, I, and it's not a question of doing it right. It's just a question of I'm unpacking and I'm, I'm embodying and I'm healing in a way that's whole. And now, no, it doesn't hurt, but it's not so sharp. I think that's the only thing that I can, based on my own experience, it's not so sharp. And when I create suffering for myself have been the times when the geese have flown overhead and it, and it's a stug comes up and it hurts. And mm-hmm. I remember that day when mom died, or I remember I allow myself the first three years, I, I heard the paramedics working on her up over my head. And that was hard, hard, hard. Mm-hmm. And being able to have embodied those experiences and that energy now, I can hold those memories, which are still part of me, um, in a way that is um, honoring. And I'm able to feel the compassion for the paramedics now that I couldn't, I had no, no space for before because I was in that sharp hurt in those first three years, which now almost eight years out, there's more spaciousness around it. And so instead of using it to, to, um, focus on the hurt, I'm focusing more on or have space to allow the, the softness, the warmth, the compassion for them, the love for my mother, the, 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 you know, so when the beeps on the, on the monitors on the machines no longer pierce your heart, doesn't mean they don't hurt anymore, but they're not as sharp. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're not as sharp. There's a, a really beautiful practice. Do you have a pen? We could do it live here sure. for you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. It's called pain in a box. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you draw a, a square, mm-hmm. so everybody you draw a little, square. draw a square. Yeah. Tell me when you're done. Done. Okay. And draw on the, whatever's corner of, of the square, draw, a, a, a attached to it, um, fill in a little rectangle and fill it in. Attached inside. to the corner of the square? Yeah. On the inside of the box. Mm-hmm. And we're, call, we're, we're doing a box here. Yep. 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 And then and, color it in. And color it in. We're going to call that, you know, your pain, mm-hmm. pain button. Mm-hmm. And, and draw draw your draw a little ball just draw inside the box draw a little circle and color it in and that's that's your grief Mm. so every time every time that your that ball hits your pain button you're going to experience a sudden temporary upsurge in grief a Mm. a stug right and what i help people understand is in the early days of their grief that ball is not a little tiny one. No, it's it's yeah. the whole box, yeah. right? Yeah. And instead of the the ball getting smaller, we actually the box gets bigger. Mm. And so the ball's not going to hit the pain button as many it's times often. as it used to. Right. Right. We right. grow capacities. Yeah. Where people get stuck is they're like, it's been fucking 10 years. Why am I not over this yet? Mm-hmm. And so their ball is the same size, right? And it keeps still. hitting the pain. Yeah. And we have found ways inside to numb it. 
Right. We've tried to create separation between this grief, right? This ball that is grief that is normal, necessary, needed, and it's involuntary. So we can't, we can't process that grief is there to serve us. It's there to keep us safe. It's there to honor the love that we have with someone who's died or a dream that's died. And until it feels acknowledged, it's going to keep doing its job because that's the job of grief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once it feels met, yeah. you know, it can stay the same size, but our, our capacity grows right. the box and we bigger. can withstand yes. exactly so that when our pain lever gets hit against, we're like, oh, what am I supposed to learn? Oh, it's Tracy's birthday. Of course, I'm going to feel this experience. Yeah. And then I have some, some tools, some muscles to be able to honor, to feel the experience. Because for me, Trudy, it's, it, it arises in my chest. I feel a constriction and then my throat closes down. So when that happens, I pause, I breathe. I actually massage my throat because our bodies understand breath, touch and movement. So I move mm-hmm. and then I, I say something to Tracy or my dad or whatever is wherever whatever is this yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it it shifts right it it dissipates and then i feel this relief yes overcome relief right Mm -hmm. and this is why i say it's it's quote unquote easier When, when you've done that kind of work and you're to go back to the original of my my point you're you're in that space where you're not fighting it anymore, you've done the work, you've embodied the lessons, you're able to see the geese and not have them bring you to tears. You're able to remember that morning and not have it for me be so very painful. Yeah. And it's, yes, eight years have passed. Well, eight years this September. Time has passed. But I'm doing the things that are fitting into my tapestry in a way that aren't so sharp. Mm-hmm. And so I think we all have experiences of that in our lives where, where we've, um, we've, we've made a choice for a job and, and it was a perilous process to get to it, but suddenly everything falls in place, you know, uh, or yeah. that, uh, and to a frivolous example, you, you go shopping and, and you just find a, a something, a pair of shoes, a dress, a top, whatever, that is the exact right thing that you didn't know that you needed, but you actually do. Yeah. Love you know? it. Yes. And so exactly. it's like, oh, there it is. And it's like, yeah. What a gift. What a gift. Exactly. And and doing this work is the same kind of thing. Oh, that's and beautiful. It's, when we're fighting against it, yeah. That's when we keep coming up against. But when we've done the work, then the things fall into place in the way that they're meant to be. Yeah. Because we know how to do this. We're born to do this. We're born to experience the whole cornucopia of life, Mm -hmm. head, heart, and body. Mm -hmm. And we've forgotten. And and what Dina's trying to do is is help us remember. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful, Trudy. Yes. Yes to all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So... Unless there's more to add. I, th- I have one okay. thing. Right. And it, there was a poem that we wanted to share. There's a poem. And, you know, we couldn't have warmed up to it in a more exquisite manner. You know, th- this poem by Dana Falds, 
uh, I, I've honored her in my prelude to the to the book, and I chose it because she's really calling us in an invitational way to hold pain differently, and that's what you that's what you just honored. So thank you for that. So as we women want to honor each other, yeah. let us honor Dana Dana Faults, who wrote this exquisite poem called Allow. Allow. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is no controlling life. Try mm -hmm. corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world, the entire whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Practice becomes bearing the truth. Wow. Yeah. And what I love about this experience, Trudy, is I don't think I made a connection, but her words to my broken heart, right? And when I was trying to conceive a way of talking about grief, can you feel how grief unleashed was informed by the gift of Dana? And I didn't realize that until this very moment, yeah. Yeah. right? It's new the eyes. lifting of the oh, veil. Yeah. New eyes, new eyes. Yes. Yeah. The reclaiming of what it means to fully love a human. And when they die, hello world, I'm going to mourn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's natural, normal, necessary, needed. Yeah right? Involuntary. It's like the greatest expression of our love is to fully honor and acknowledge someone when they've died. Yeah. To do otherwise is unnecessary, yeah. unneeded, right? Unhealthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you feel the reclaiming of what yeah. it means to be fully human? Yes. I've been having shivers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, a whole body. Yes. To the invitation that we leave our listeners with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll put a link. We'll put a link to um to this. I'll find something somewhere. Check it with you and just make sure. That oh yeah, she's available online. Allow by Dana Falls. Yeah, yeah. we'll put a link in Beautiful. the episode notes. Yeah, for sure. And um and you know the work goes on. There's 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 more myths because each and every one of us will have myths that we use to make meaning or protect ourselves from. Uh, our experience, whatever that is, particularly the pointy ones. <laughs> mm. So, so yeah, uh, that is one of our, one of our myths for today is that there are no more myths. So <laughs> to be continued, to my be friend. Continued. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we will, um, we're going to put that down for now. And, um, Dean and I will be taking a break from these conversations uh, over the summer and, and we'll, we'll cook something up, I think, for the fall. 
Um, in the meanwhile, she's going to be um, moving all over the country, starting with the Northwest Territories. And I should say, you know, this podcast has leaders, uh, listeners all the way around the world. Uh, we have a regular listener in Tokyo. We've got someone on the oh. east coast of Australia. I've got uh, my friend Maggie in Scotland who tunes in. Someone, someone in Finland has been following all the way along. So there are people all over the place. Uh, this is a very Canadian tapestry that we're weaving about a universal experience mm. that we all have from our own, you know, cultural backgrounds. So I, you know, it's, um, I, I love that we're, we're able to do this and, and beam this out to, to the whole world. And so, you know, that's, it is a, an invitation to everyone from wherever you be to, to sort of dip your toe into your experience of this. And if, if you have anything that you want to share, um, please send us an email to meanderingswithtrudy at gmail.com. Um, or I always include a, uh, a link to, uh, Dina's website. She's got contact information there, um, that people can contact her through. Um, she also does a, a wonderful phalantology, uh, Thursday video on, uh, just a short one on, on, uh, Instagram which, uh, which I see, I think it probably goes out to other places too, but that's where I find you. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a social media Luddite. So um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right beside you, sister. That's why we have young people doing our social media for that's us. That's right. That's right. So, uh, if, if you're interested, uh, you can find her, your handle on, on Instagram is, uh, it's grief, grief unleashed. unleashed. Yeah. Or grief dot unleashed. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and there'll be links as well from her from her website, which again you'll find the the link to it in the episode notes. So if you have anything that you want to share with us, um, topics maybe that you'd like us to explore, um, what have you, send us a note and and let us know. And um, I think was there anything else that we wanted to mention other than please subscribe and follow along and give us a review and and uh, return return to some of these conversations because I really do think that they matter. And this is, this is Dina's focus and work, but I really do think that it's, it's something that we all need to do is to become more aware of how, um, how we handle or have handled things that have caused us grief. Have we bottled it up? Have we unleashed out onto other people or ourselves in ways that are unhealthy? And with a real gentle, kind hand and heart, look at that inside of ourselves and then, you know, seek information so that you can lead into the practice of seeing the world in a more gentle way for yourself. And then you can embody the lessons, experiences and, and love from these experiences that, you know, we all go through. It's a universal thing. Yeah. Anyway, Dina, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have these five conversations over these months. I can't believe that we're uh, we're in June, almost in June already. And we shall return. Thank you for being such an amazing host and gatherer and companion, Trudy. I I'm just ever so grateful that I've had these experiences with you. It's it's shifted how I'm showing up in the world in this way. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And I would welcome everybody, at least in Canada, to uh, to visit your local independent bookstore and have a look for Dina's book, Grief Unleashed. 
Um, and if not, there's a, I'll also put a link to the uh, publisher again in the, uh, in the episode notes so that you could order it from them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it will be on, in, on Amazon sometime soon too, won't it? I, yeah, I we're still exploring me. that because Amazon, I don't know, it feels a little bit too commercial for me somehow. I'd rather, I get you, honor, I get you. Yeah. I'd rather honor my publisher from Burnstown, right? Renfrew yes. County and this yes. beautiful, glorious little place that actually was you know, food for my soul. And Mm -hmm. so honoring them, small, uh, commercial publishing house and Mm -hmm. small and mighty, I might add. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's something around maybe not going the conventional way, maybe doing it slower and more homegrown. More deliberately and intentionally. And Uh I hear you. Okay. So maybe not on Amazon and, uh, yeah. Yay. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ordered mine through Burnstown and uh, it was, it was great. It, uh, I, I don't mind slow. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there'll be links in the episode notes for all of this, if you're interested. And, um, and if not, if you're not Canadian and you're still interested in this, in your heart and helping yourself along, look in your own bookstores and bookcases and resources that are close at hand that reflect your culture because it Mm -hmm. it's it's not ours Mm -hmm. but the conversation is still pivotal to helping i think address the woundings that we experience in our world right now because that is that is whole that is everywhere and how we've turned away from these soul conversations is, uh, mm-hmm. I think it undermines our humanity. Mm. Soulful conversations that are food for the soul. Nice. Beautiful, Trudy. Yes. Yeah. Nice wrap up. Thanks, Dina. We'll see you in the fall. See you in the fall.